Hello, everyone, and welcome to our exclusive to Patreon subscribers debrief for our recent episode titled Murder on Cortez Island. We wanted to create these debriefs as a space where we can more casually talk about a case that we have recently covered on Patreon. Hopefully you've all listened to the Murder on Cortez Patreon-exclusive episode, the tragic story of wealthy artist and Cortez resident Stefano Savioli. Stefano was murdered in 2010 in his Cortez Island cabin while he slept. Okay, let's get into the debrief. So just to quickly recap this case, uh, Stefano Savioli was a 60-year-old man. He was uh, quite a famous painter um, and a very successful and wealthy businessman. He had lived on Cortez Island for 20-plus years. And then on the morning of August 6, 2010, he was discovered murdered in his loft of his cabin on Cortez Island. The person who discovered him in the loft was his stepson, Samuel. Samuel had been sleeping in a different cabin on the same property that night uh, with a friend named Nick, and they were the only other two people on the property. The murder scene was quite bloody. It was quite a vicious murder. Nothing was stolen, and there was no signs of force entry. It has now been 12 years, and no one has been charged with this crime. So what were your initial thoughts on this case? Well, it seems like a pretty personal attack on Stefano, and I would say that the motive is pretty clear to me. Seems like the motive was money. That's my opinion. Um, It doesn't look like anything was taken. It doesn't look like robbery happened. So for me, I think it was somebody close to him in the community, living in the community at the time, that could benefit from Stefano's death directly. What about you? Yeah, there's kind of a lot of moving parts here, but it I, it is like an Occam's Razor type situation where it you have to look at who benefits from his murder. This is the second debrief that we've mentioned Occam's Razor. We are both big fans of Occam's Razor. So true. Um, it's better than getting bogged down in the complicated ideas. Um, but it's interesting because there were the allegations from a previous relationship that... Um, Stefano was abusive, and the child from that previous relationship is now dating his widow. So it makes me wonder if there's also, like, perhaps a revenge component in there or something like that. I don't know. It's it's a very confusing case in that regard because there are those extra sort of relationships and moving parts going on there. But we have a person who was murdered no sign of forced entry. The murder itself was very bloody, very angry. Although the um, cause of death has never been released, the rumor around Cortez is that it was a stabbing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. It's also an incredibly tragic case as well with regards to Stefano having um, rekindled his relationship with his son Cristiano in Italy and that the two of them were sort of coming together after years of uh, a strained or estranged relationship. Mm-hmm, yeah, I agree. Um, I just want to touch on the the murder itself. Um, uh, the rumor is that it was done with a knife, which I think as true crime listeners, we we know or we can 
deduce that that is usually done by someone who has a direct tie to a victim. Usually when it's a little bit more removed emotionally, a, a firearm is used. And this this murder just felt incredibly personal to me. And I I think that multiple people were involved and that this was planned. Yeah, and the other thing too about Cortez is that Cortez is... Um it's not a stranger attack type place. This is not a metropolitan area. This, uh, it, I mean, there is a possibility that it could have been a neighbor or somebody he crossed on Cortez, but it's definitely somebody he knew, mm-hmm. and it's definitely somebody close to him is my gut instinct on this. And it had to be somebody who was familiar with the property because it would have happened in the middle of the night, and it was incredibly dark that night because of the smoke that was going on. It was happening during... Um, a particularly bad wildfire season in British Columbia, which would have blacked out the moon with smoke. There would have been no starlight or anything like that. So it would have been an incredibly dark night. So it would have had to be somebody who was at least familiar with the layout of the buildings on his property because there were there were numerous buildings on that property. Yeah, and that's the other thing too, is if you actually look at an aerial map of the property, it's at the end of Thunder Road mm-hmm. and there's not really a lot out there. Like it's, it's not accessible either. You wouldn't know it was there if you weren't already aware of it being there. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So speaking of Cortez, this is kind of an interesting question I thought of. What role do you think that the island of Cortez itself plays into this case? Well, I think the fact that it is a not only a small town, but a remote place. It's not easy to get to. It's, again, two ferries. Uh, so the the police that would have responded would have been from Cortez Island itself and probably from Quadra Island, which is the island just to the west of Cortez, and then potentially Campbell River, which is the closest, I wouldn't even say major city, but larger small town, again, to the west of Quadra. So we have small, you know, I don't want to say small town police, but small town police reporting to a scene So that might have impeded the investigation from the beginning. But then also interestingly with Cortez, you have an incredibly small and remote community just on the island that isn't going to necessarily be forthcoming with information. They kind of police themselves is how I've heard about Cortez and what goes on there. So I think those two factors played into this for sure. Yeah, there's definitely a laissez-faire, like, live-and-let-live attitude that is on Cortez. And it is, I mean, it's a great way to live. I mean, people look out for each other, and people take care of each other. But also, you know, socially, people keep each other in check as well. Um, it's They are self-policing in a lot of ways like that because crime is so low there. Mm-hmm. Um, but when a major crime happens... Um, you know, and some people hold more influence than others, then that can create um, sort of that environment of silence where people don't want to come forward and talk about what actually happened. Even though the rumors are like spreading throughout the island, like everybody is talking about it, but then nobody wants to necessarily come forward with information. Even the person that we spoke to via email, they were like, hey man, I don't want to talk about this. Like, I don't want to put my name out there at all. And we were, and we were just like, yeah, sure, no problem. Yeah, no one wants to be the snitch in a small community. Yeah, and that's the other thing too, is it's not like rural, small town. It's 
it's its own island and it's and it's not even beside quadra like if you actually look at it from a map you'll see that there's quadra and then there's like islands in between and then there's cortez so it's even further removed than other gulf islands mm-hmm. and then uh to the east uh, mainland british columbia there's nothing there there's no major town or anything it is wilderness so they are incredibly remote on Cortez. Yeah, it's just mountains over there. So uh, there was mention of a mob hit in relation to this case, mainly because of Stefano's Italian heritage. What are your thoughts on that theory? Well, I mean, it's interesting because if you think about like how his dad made his money in Riccione, it's kind of like, you know, it was nightclubs and, you know, bars and hotels and stuff, which is kind of like old school mafia way, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, they built Las Vegas. However, having said that, Stefano was so far removed from that world that the idea of um, assassins flying in under the cover of night um, to, to, to kill him and over what that's still unclear. It's not like he lost his wealth or anything. Um, it it just, it seems pretty far-fetched. And I do love that Cristiano said like, hey, like this is actually kind of racist to, to just say that, that because my dad's Italian and he got murdered, then it's a mafia hit. Like, so I kind of appreciated that he, I mean, he laughs about it. He, you know, he, he laughs it off. And I kind of appreciate that he just said that because he knows in his gut that it was way closer to home than, you know, the mafia coming in from Riccione. Uh, What were your thoughts on on the mafia angle? Well, I can understand where it came from. Like, I I can, only because of what Stefano did back in Italy and his family did, you know. You know, the the mafia and and drugs kind of go hand in hand. And places like nightclubs and hotels and all that kind of, all the kind of businesses that the family had direct relationships with. I can understand like where somebody would be like, oh, maybe they had some mafia or mob integrations within that realm back in Italy. But what are the odds that that's going to follow him to an incredibly remote place in British Columbia years and years later? Well, what I find interesting, actually, as as a true crimer, uh, true crime podcaster, we go through court records, Canadian court records, a lot. And I will tell you that that every time I am searching for certain kind of cases, often I come across organized crime cases. Like Canadians do have uh, an organized crime murder problem in our country, and not only that, this like the other most categorized um, type of murder is family which is primarily um, domestic violence or gender-based violence. But Canadians are more likely um, to commit second-degree murder in the moment from from articles that I've read. So we're more likely to kill somebody in an argument that went wrong or something like that than we are to premeditate um, uh, a murder in like a serial killer fashion or, or that kind of thing. So it's interesting that this case actually falls into the top two categories. Like, is it an organized crime situation or is this much closer to home and it's somebody who knew him? But, um, yeah. While we're on that topic, what are your thoughts on the theory of someone close to Stefano being responsible for his death? Well, I think it's quite simple. I think the person who murdered Stefano knew him. They knew he was sleeping. They knew he was sleeping in the loft. They knew where he lived. Uh, they knew that 
nobody else would hear it or see it. Um, and they knew he was going to be alone that night. His partner was on the main, well, was on the island, was on, was in Campbell River. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I think that the answer to that is pretty simple. I don't think this was a stranger murder. Mm-hmm. And, I agree. And I don't, you know, it was uncovered. We'll talk about it a little bit. It was uncovered by the CBC that the RCMP did have a suspect. And um, through the CBC's own uh, investigation, they believe that that suspect is um, Samuel, the stepson. Now, I don't feel comfortable saying that our research says that mm-hmm. um, because these people still live uh, on Vancouver Island and on Cortez. And, you know, for 10 to 12 years now, they've evaded law enforcement. So I can't say definitively who killed Stefano. Yeah, the cops don't have enough evidence. So obviously no one else does either. But they do have a suspect and the suspect happens to be the only one who was on the property that night um, and would have had ample opportunity to commit the crime. So... Yeah, I think I think personally for me makes sense. Exactly that. I know and they benefited tremendously from his Canadian wealth. Mm-hmm. So having said that, the CBC sued the RCMP and got a whole bunch of files released and in those um files they learned that evidence had not been forensically tested for 3 or more years. They learned that there was blood spatter or um, significant evidence in the other cabin. And that was like something on a wicker chair. I shouldn't say blood spatter, but it was something suspicious on a wicker chair. My guess was that it was blood, but I could be totally wrong. They also, um, that's also how they found out that there was a suspect. And um, so based on just those releases, what CBC found um, in those files what stuck out to you? Okay, so hold on, back up for a second. The the RCMP did in fact find something in the cabin that the stepson was sleeping in that triggered them to think that he was involved? Yeah, it was a wicker chair. There was something on a wicker chair that was in the guest cabin. Gotcha. So, yeah, I mean, I think the lawsuit uncovered obviously that there was a suspect. And then to no one's surprise, I'm sure, the lack of care around the evidence that was gathered from the scene. I mean, things weren't tested properly. They weren't tested for years. They uh, weren't stored properly. Well, that's, yeah, it's not. There was just a, a mishandling of so many things in regards to this case. So that's why, for me, I'm not entirely surprised that this has gone unsolved for this long. So that leads me to the the question of, do you think that this case will ever be solved? So that's interesting. The RCMP, like we covered in the actual case, in the actual episode, the RCMP have stated that they have a renewed focus. They have a renewed timeline. They have a renewed set of investigators, and they believe that this case will be solved in a timeline that they have decided upon. Now, that was 2019 that they released that information. So they made an announcement in 2019, like, we're on, we're on this, we've got a timeline, it's going to happen, and it's now um, 2022. Yeah, three years have gone by. So I'm unclear on what their timeline 
is, um, how aggressive that timeline is and what that actually looks like. And based on that alone, maybe I'm a pessimist, maybe I've kind of lost hope, but I just kind of feel that we're at the 12-year mark Mm -hmm. and I don't know what it would take to break this case. And I honestly feel that maybe there was missed opportunities early on. No investigation is perfect, um, but also no criminal uh, is too smart. Um, Having said that, I hate to say it, but I don't see this case getting solved. Yeah, no, neither do I. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that the people that care about Stefano, they don't live here. So there's not a lot of pressure on the police to re-engage the investigation. Um, They say that they're working on it, but... You know, as as we've as we've seen in so many so many cases, families need to be on whether it's the RCMP or a city police force. They need to be calling. They need to be a thorn in those police sides. Like they need to be constant. Yeah, absolutely. There's no um, inspiration or pressure for them to solve this case. His the only person person pushing for a resolve is Cristiano, and he lives in Italy. He mm-hmm. has a website. He has a ten thousand dollar reward. Um, you know, he he is trying to find his father's murderer, but he's just one person. Yeah. He had the help of the CBC. The Fifth Estate did really amazing work for him uh, to bring this case to the to spotlight, but. You know, and, and and Stefano's own friends on Cortez, like they, this is 12 years later now. Mm-hmm. And they've seen someone get away with murder. So where is their inspiration to um, advocate for him? Yeah, I, I think I think people in small town Canada, sometimes they lose hope in in the RCMP specifically just because of the track record that goes with not solving cases like this with the RCMP. So I can understand people kind of throwing up their hands and saying, well, I guess this one's going to go in the unsolved pile with all the others. Yeah, and having said that, we know that the RCMP, like, and we know RCMP officers, we know that they work hard. We know mm-hmm. that they want to solve cases. They really genuinely do want to solve cases. Of course they do. But then in these um you know, they're just getting hit with tidal wave after tidal wave of crime, you know, and, and something like a 12-year-old cold case is going to sit to the side while other crimes take precedent. And it's tragic and sad, but if people aren't talking or if people are pers- purposefully lying or di- misdirecting the police, mm-hmm. then what are they going to do? Like, they can only do so much within the charter rights of Canadians. You know, yeah. they can't just, you know lock people up and demand they confess, right? So it's like, where do you, where do you go with a yeah. 12-year-old cold case? Yeah, I, I think that's about it, really. I, I, I personally don't see this one being solved unless someone develops a conscience. But I don't know. And with that, we will wrap up this debrief episode. Thank you again for joining us. We want to know what you all think about this case. Do you think it will ever be solved? What do you think happened on that night on August 5th, 2010? Join the conversation on Patreon or send us a direct message on Instagram. We will be back soon with more Patreon content. Thank you again for supporting the podcast. Take care of yourselves. And each other.